Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. For many of us, it will soon be time again to dust off our bikes and get back to riding. So what are some of the most important things that you can do to your bike if you haven't been riding it for a while? To answer this question, we're talking with Simon Stewart, who has played numerous roles in the bike industry, from working at bike shops to being a mountain bike guide, to writing and reviewing for Bike Magazine and Dirt Rag Magazine, to working for SRAM as a technical ambassador and as a SRAM technical university instructor, to currently owning and running Bone Shaker Cycles Bike Shop in Buena Vista, Colorado. So in addition to having a wealth of experience when it comes to servicing bikes, Simon is also one of my favorite people to talk about bikes with, and he's actually just really one of my favorite people in general. And in the first part of our conversation here today, I guarantee that you are going to see why. So yeah, first we cover Simon's really interesting background, and then we turn to Simon's best suggestions for what you ought to check on and what you ought to do to your bike before you go hit the trail. And with that, here we go. Well, Simon, we have been threatening doing this for quite a while now. And so um, today's the day. This is our time of reckoning. And uh, well, with that, I'm actually happy to welcome you on to Bikes and Big Ideas. Uh, I'm delighted to be here and the, the stars have finally aligned, uh, albeit we're not in the, the same room, which is goofy since we're, we don't live very far apart. I know, I know. <laughs> and I mean, and that's the other part. We were intending, I think, like the last two times we were together here in Crested Butte to record this. But this is another example where you also have a a little person in your life. Actually, you have two little people in your life, but I mean the I mean the baby. You know, I mean, Rory. So I think the last time we tried to do this, we decided it was maybe better to not also try to attempt to record a conversation, if I have this correct. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, little man does uh, just throw a curveball at anything we try to do these days. Speaking of the other little person in your life, um, you know, you and I have been friends for a good while now, but I really think the single thing that has really bonded us together is our, um, let's say, shared love of your wife, Sasha Anastas, my good friend, Sasha, and Blister reviewer, Sasha. You are married to her. I'm sure, you know, I know she's your favorite person in the world. I'm on record. She's one of my favorite people to ski and ride bikes with. But then there's the part that's kind of, um, you know, just that rare occasion of kind of like dealing with Sasha <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really hard thing to express to the rest of the world. But there are these moments when I'm either kind of losing my mind because of something she's doing or you are. And we can just kind of look at each other. And there's like this knowing glance. 
And I feel really, those are the moments when I feel most like kind of one with you. Like this guy gets it. This guy gets me. <laughs> yes, those those are the moments. That's that might be the glue. Like we we're like a two part epoxy, Jonathan. You know, you're the resident, and uh, I'm the hardener. <laughs> um, so you know, Sasha, we love you, and mostly I just pray that you don't hear this intro. But yeah, you know, I've always appreciated that um, in those in those you know very rare moments when Sasha's driving me oh, crazy. Very rare, yes. Very rare. Uh, I'm just like Simon. Simon knows what this is like. <laughs> Anyway, moving on quickly. Um, I want to talk a little bit before we get going, you know, to kind of the the main course uh, for this conversation. You've got this really interesting history in the bike industry, and um, I kind of want to walk people through that, you know, a bit. And so let's go all the way back. Um, talk about where you grew up. Whoa, you are going back right then. Um... I uh, I grew up on the west coast of Ireland, Limerick City, and uh, this was you know the uh, the eighties, dating myself now, but uh, yeah, we uh, as a family, you know, we uh, we immigrated to uh, to the U.S. in I think it was eighty six, and uh, this was a time of a sort of mass exodus in in Ireland. Uh, the economy was in the toilet, and I uh, I remember my father sitting the whole family down saying, "All right, listen." I don't have a job in Ireland anymore. We have two choices. So uh, we can either go to the UK, uh, have a job there, or we can go to the US of A and have a job there. And uh, so we voted and then everybody voted for the USA. So it was easy. So we, um, we did. We, uh, we moved from, uh, from Ireland to uh, Minneapolis in, um, and in January. <laughs> in what was, what was apparently the coldest two weeks they'd had in like 50 years, <laughs> right? So why Minneapolis? Uh, my my father, the company he worked for in Ireland, had a subsidiary in Minneapolis that was uh, well that was staying open, and so he got a transfer. So okay, I'm trying to picture you know young Simon here. What did you know about the U.S.? Like, were you when your dad's like want to move to the U.S. or England? Was it specifically England or London? Yeah, it was. It was specifically. Uh, it was in London, actually. Yeah. Okay. So when your dad's like, do you want to move to the U.S. or do you want to move to England. What prompted you to answer the U.S.? Like, how much did you know about the U.S.? Or I'm kind of, I like this idea where you're kind of envisioning USA and you're thinking like the Florida Keys or like, you know, the palm trees of Los Angeles or something. And then you like arrive in Minnesota in January. What did you know? <laughs> what was the expectation? Well, first of all, um, it was cold. And uh, I'll give you the, the expectation here in a minute. But uh, I, I just I vividly remember being on the arrivals dock at the airport, frozen, right? Frozen in a sweater, didn't really have a real jacket and or coat, you know, and, and my mom, my dad, my brother and our cocker spaniel in his cage coming out of anesthesia going, what have we done? Did we take a wrong turn? It's Siberia. It was so bloody cold. You know, needless to say, there was a, a family outing to the Burlington Coat Factory the next day for some for some gray coats. <laughs> I don't know why there was have been a sale on gray coats, but anyhow, I, I think it was exciting. You know, we you know being in Ireland, like we traveled to England all the time. We had family, we had family in England, but uh, America was was more exciting. Um, and uh, what did I know about it? We had been there once before for for a wedding, and uh, I just remember, you know, because I, I was I was mad about cars, and so. Mm. 
in Ireland, there wasn't even a single car, I think, at the time that had an automatic transmission. And I remember looking through the windows of all the cars. I was like, oh, look at all those automatic transmissions. Every car had an automatic. I was, I was just blown away by that. So it was pretty funny. Um, and then the, just the expanse of the country. So I, I think it was just something that was going to be new and exciting. So when you get over here to the States, you are in high school at that point? Uh, junior high. Yeah, junior, junior high. high, moving into high school. And so you're already at this point, you're already into cars and already into bikes. Um, and are you already into motorcycles? Anything with wheels, Jonathan. Anything I, I with established wheels. pretty early on. I had an affinity towards the two-wheeled conveyances. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, I guess the reason for bringing this up is you make an interesting decision. You get through high school. You're into things with wheels. But after high school... You don't go like the most conventional route. You don't go to some, you know, four-year liberal arts college or typical engineering program or something. What do you do? Right after high school, I joined the military, the U.S. military, and I, I drove a tank for a couple of years just to have something to do. And it put me back in Europe, and it, and it gave me uh, gave me money for college because we were pretty much starting from scratch when we immigrated uh, to the yeah. U.S. So. Uh, having any college money wasn't wasn't something that was in the cards at all. So um, I uh, took advantage of the GI Bill. I drove a tank around Europe for a couple of years, which was rad. And uh, after that, I came back and um, I went to uh, went to college and got a, a degree in motorcycle technology. Okay, wait a second. I just learned the coolest thing about you in the middle <laughs> of recording. <laughs> I like to spring things on you. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. No idea. Right. So you were a tank driver and yes. were also learning about like how to wrench on tanks? No, a little bit. There was, the, there was a whole nother maintenance division. So they did the, the maintenance on tank. We did a little bit, but for the most part, our job was to drive around smashing things and blowing things up. So again, let me get this straight. Someone in our military decided it would be a good idea to let you control a tank. You got it. <laughs> I was a badass tank driver. I actually can believe that. But the part I have more trouble believing is someone was like, you know what would be a good idea? We should definitely put Simon behind the wheel of a tank. No offense. I actually kind of mean this as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I. I don't know who, who I don't like. It's not like go around like staying, telling people my, my, my life history. So I have no idea who, who I remember telling these stories to or not. So I didn't really <laughs> honestly know you didn't know. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like this episode just pivoted. I could just, I want to just ask questions about this for maybe, that's you know, good, that's, that's a good tank uh, segue, by the way, because the tank does pivot steer. Incidentally, one uh -huh. tank, one track stops and the other one keeps moving. That's how they turn. Uh -huh. So nice one, even though you didn't know what you were doing. All right. We're going to, the tank thing we'll have to, we'll ask for tank anecdotes, you know, on a, a future episode, let's say. Um, but to keep it moving for today, even though you just threw a massive curveball at me. So you drive a tank around Europe for a couple years and then decide to go to motorcycle college. Exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, tell me about that. This, where was that? I was down in Arizona. It was a great school. Uh, still going today and uh, got a, you know, got a, a top notch education in on motorcycles, all motorcycles. Um, 
uh, although I did go to work for Harley Davidson after graduation, uh, I did study all the uh, manufacturers' brand uh, motorcycles. And so you get to Harley Davidson, and we're now. Where are we? What's where's the timeline? This is early nineties. Yeah, no, mid nineties, ninety six, I think ninety seven. Yeah. So, I mean, right when, right when mountain biking was 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 really coming on strong as well. So. Mm-hmm. Sort of, and I mean, but Harley Davidson is just an absolutely massive and iconic brand at that point. No, I mean, like, t- tell me a little bit about where Harley is at that time when you go to work for them. They are printing money at that time. Yeah, no joke. Uh, that's that was the reason that the impetus of my decision to to go with uh, to go with Harley Davidson versus Honda versus uh, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Ducati, whatever the other brands are, but. They had a two, a one or two year waiting list for any of their models. It was an insane time, you know. Um, they they couldn't make them fast enough. They they were selling everything they had. Their accessory catalog was the size of a phone book. Your your typical customer at the time would come in and spend you know, fifteen k on a motorcycle, another ten k on parts and accessories, and then get themselves a nice leather suit to go with it. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was it was a model that you know the rest of you know. The corporate world was paying attention to. They're like, "Wow, yeah. what Harley Davidson? What are they doing? Crushing, yeah, crushing." Um, how long do you stay at Harley? Uh, about uh, about six years, I think so. Yeah, six seven years. I left in two thousand two. Okay, why did you leave, and what did you go do? Right, you know that during my tenure at Harley Davidson, I sort of ended up working on um, a lot of race bikes, and um, we had a race team. So my job was to uh, was essentially was to build and tune the engines, and so what that meant was spending a lot of time in a, in a dyno room, which you strap the motorcycle to, you know, a drum, an accelerometer, and uh, you measure the performance in this uh, enclosed setting where you're basically tuning and measuring the performance of the engine. Um, and, and unfortunately for me, you know, at, at that time, I guess I was in, I was inhaling a lot of fumes and uh, wasn't feeling super awesome about it. And uh, a couple of years of, you know, working on race bikes and building engines, I, I decided that my health was more important. And so uh, a transition out of motorcycles into bicycles seemed like a great idea. Okay. So you are like, I'd like to be inhaling fewer fumes. I also like bicycles, but like connect those dots then. Like, great. So <laughs> what? Well, so Minneapolis has an incredible bike culture and an incredible bike scene and, uh, so one of my good friends, Gene Eberpriller, uh, he was an ex-pro racer on the mountain bike circuit, um, really talented. He had been hoarding bicycle parts and everything to do with bicycles his entire life. So he had an entire bicycle junkyard, which just happened to be in the basement of a Korean massage parlor. So we had the idea uh, at the time, like, well, let's let's start a little sort of uh, appointment-only bike shop down there in this basement. So. And we and we did, and I would I would moonlight there in the evenings. So it would be Gene and I, and uh, and a three legged cat named Tripod, and that that was it. So we, if I could paint this picture for you, Jonathan, imagine imagine bicycle parts and frames from the floor to the ceiling, in this basement, and uh, when it smells like you know Korean food essentially because they were always making Korean food, and there's a clearing in the middle with enough room for um, a couple of bike stands and some toolboxes, and and that was our scene and. 
and people were really were really into it, you know, uh, especially with Gene's reputation. And then I was bringing a lot of mechanical expertise to the table, and we were fixed bikes down there in the evening, and then take our uh, take our earnings and go to Keegan's Irish pub and have a few Guinness. Life was simple back then. <laughs> Life, life was yeah. simple and awfully yeah. stereotypical too. So right. good, yeah. Let's uh, let's get the Guinness in there. Okay, so how long are you doing that for? So um, to catch you up, Gene has since created one of the most iconic bike shops in uh, in the in the Minneapolis area. That was the start of it. That was the genesis right there. Was that basement scene that we had that became one on one bike shop. Um, it's in its incredible place. It's a staple of the, the bike culture in Minneapolis. So I did that for, you know, I, I can't remember, honestly, it was, it was probably six months, give or take. Okay. Um, it was right when, you know, it, then Gene bought the building and <laughs> the massage parlor, uh, got in some trouble with the police. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. And so they had to leave and that left the space open. So he moved what was in the basement basically up into where the massage parlor used to be and, and created this amazing bike shop. All right. Trying to move a little quick through this fascinating, unless unless tanks are going to come back into the story, I'm going to try to keep us moving a <laughs> we little should, bit. Yeah, we, we, we should get moving, hey? Is the next chapter for you bike guiding? Um, no, no. What did exactly. I leave out? Sort of. Um, yeah, you know, I, like a good friend of mine, um, Hurl Everson at the time, that still is his name, sorry. Yeah, him and I went since he had recently retired as well from uh, his regular job. We decided to take a road trip through um, through North Dakota, South Dakota, and ended up um, operating a bicycle outfitter in North Dakota on the base of the Matahe Trail, and that led to guiding, which then honestly a decade evaporated uh, mountain bike guiding, mm-hmm. and that's where I, I, I formed a lot of uh, my relationships with just about everybody in the bike industry. Cause not only did we, we, we guide, you know, guests and people going on these five, six, seven day backcountry mountain bike trips. We, we did a lot of industry, uh, press camps, product launches, um, uh, parties, you know, we heard the company, anybody called when they wanted to take anybody camping, uh, bike related. So we did a lot of rad stuff. That was when bike magazine was doing bike week, which was awesome. That meant, they invited all of their um, advertisers on this basically week of just drinking way too much booze and riding your bike every day. Good, good stuff. Drinks and bikes. Um, probably the title of your autobiography. Well, maybe like drinks and tanks and bikes. I knew you were going to squeeze tanks in there again. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like this part. Um, I know. I want to see how many times you can squeeze tank I'm, in before I'm we're done. I'm just still stunned that some <laughs> higher up in the military was like, this guy, this guy's got to operate tanks for us. Yeah. It's like, my God, he's not been out with you on a, they, they on tried a Friday to put night. Me, they tried to put me in military intelligence. That's another funny one. But then realized since at the time I wasn't uh, an American citizen that that, that wouldn't well, that wouldn't work. <laughs> you are actually literally more interesting than I knew, Simon. I knew you were interesting, but I feel like I only knew like 72% of how interesting you were. So this is, I'm having quite the experience here. This is good. You eventually start working for SRAM. And again, I guess I have to say, well, what did I leave out then? Are we ready to oh. go to SRAM? I guess so. You know, I, uh, during that decade, um, guiding, uh, I also, you know, did a lot of editorial work for, for bike magazine. 
started writing. I started really enjoying writing, reviewing bikes, doing bike Bibles and things like that, which was a, was a fantastic creative outlet for me. Um, yeah, and then we can we can transition into SRAM. I don't think I'm leaving anything else out. I mean, other than you married Sasha, that yes. should, we, should we talk about? Yes, you did that. Married Sasha, that was the best day of my life. And then I promptly moved to a different state to take a job with SRAM. <laughs> Right. <laughs> she still doesn't let me forgive me for that one. That's true. Um, yeah. So talk about your time at SRAM, um, sort of what you came in to do. And then did you basically stay in that position or did you kind of move around a lot um, in terms of your roles or responsibilities there? What was I doing at SRAM? I, it was a it was a dream job. It was perfect for me. So so my role was SRAM Technical University uh, instructor. So what that equated to was my job was education. Um, I was in charge of educating um, dealers, uh, distributors, uh, manufacturers on all of SRAM's products. We had a school where uh, people would come to for three, four, five days, and they would learn everything SRAM. Okay. With, with an emphasis, you know, on honestly suspension because that was a big part of uh, of what you know, Rockshock being a part of SRAM and under that umbrella. But it was everything. It was drivetrains. It was brakes. You know, it was wheels. Because um, they they do make everything these days, <laughs> except for yeah. except for you know pedals, a headset, and a saddle. I think that's it. So say this again. I mean, your your job is to know the ins and outs of how all of this stuff works, how to service this stuff. I think I have this right. I mean, you were spending time in some of the factories, getting clear on how things were being produced and the rest. Like you were the guy that was supposed to know the itty bitty details. It, absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. I, I loved it, you know, and yeah, we, we visited the factories. That was a part, you know, it's good to know the story. Um, if you're going to be explaining something, um, where did it come from? And yeah. the factories in Taiwan are incredible. I, I was absolutely blown away. You know, you could eat off the floor. Everybody was delightful, um, super professional. And watching raw materials come in one side and finished product come out the other is, is incredible. Like they have manufacturing dialed. So how long do you end up at SRAM? I, I think it's, I want to say something like four years-ish. Yeah, a little less than that. But yeah, okay. it was right around there for sure. And then you get the phenomenal idea Possibly crazy idea. <laughs> Possibly crazy, yes. To go back, you missed you missed tripod, the three legged cat. You're like, man, you know those days with tripod and the massage parlor, those were the days. And drinking my Guinness after work. So you're like, I think I should go run a bike shop. Is that how that went? Yeah, that's that's how that went. I I, I loved uh, working for SRAM and and. It wasn't that um, I didn't like my job anymore because I, I loved my job. Um, it was perfect for me. It really was. But it was a, it was a, it was a lot of travel. Um, mm -hmm. Another part, component to the job was, was race support, going to events and supporting you know, SRAM athletes at any kind of race, uh, cross-country, mountain bike, downhill, um, road. And so there was a lot of travel involved in going to um, you know, distributors, going to... Um, bike dealers as well, bike shops. We, we do shop visits. You know, we were kind of like a team I worked for was like a SRAM SWAT team. When, 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 <laughs> when shit hit the fan anywhere, we, they would just drop us in and we'd rappel out and fix it. So it was perfectly suited for me. But, you know, I 
having a little fellow around that changes everything, Jonathan. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't wait till I was in my forties to have um to have a uh, a baby uh, and not be around. So uh, <laughs> the bright idea. Well, let's um let's buy a bike shop, and uh, yeah, because those in. things those things practically run themselves. Totally, yeah, and they're super profitable. <laughs> <laughs> but there was more to it you know like um yes it it's it would be uh there's a component where i was like yeah i want to try and build something uh myself and um also you know um having a little person you know it was it was weird there was a part of me that was like yeah simon like you know we immigrated to ireland we didn't have anything there was nobody passing anything down we were starting from scratch and it was there was a part of me that was like i want to build something I can pass down to, to Rory. That's pretty good. Um, now I just really hope Rory doesn't end up hating bikes or that's going to yeah, be me too. Me too. Well, hell, yeah. now see, I've got that covered as well because, um, this one is foolproof <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, realize what we're doing here. It wasn't just the bike shop. I, yes, that is right. a big part of it, but I also really wanted to have a bar. And so yeah. we're, we're, we're scheduled here to open in a couple of weeks um, a coffee shop and, uh, and a bar. So we've got, you know, coffee in the morning. We're going to do these Liege waffles, which are a, a Belgium dough based waffles with pearl sugar in them. And then we've got beer, wine, cocktails. So I'm fairly confident we can, we could complete the loop there. Right. You're like, okay, Rory, if you don't like bikes and if you don't like bars and if you don't like crepes and coffee, I know he likes beer because he's, <laughs> he can't that's leave true. one laying around. That's, I already know that. So Actually, that's yeah. a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. a great point, isn't it? So we got him on some front. Do you actually, yeah. and we should say, I mean, so are we allowed? Do you want to say, do you want to say names? Do you want to say yeah, location? Yeah, absolutely. The, the name of the, um, of the bar, uh, coffee shop next door is going to be called Push and Pull. So cool. Just to get up to speed, make sure we're clear. We've got Push and Pull, the bar slash coffee shop next door to your bike shop, which currently has the name Bone Shaker, which I actually really like, but... I, I think stay tuned. I think there'll, um, there'll be some rebranding happening there. You know, we, we, uh, we inherited that name when we, when we bought the store uh, a year and a half ago. You know, we want we to make it our own. And so I think we'll, um, we're considering some, some other names at the moment. We'll still keep a Bone Shaker component. That's part of the history. Yeah. But to be perfectly honest, like, you know, service is my passion. Suspension is my passion. Yeah. And the name doesn't really lend itself to um, finely tuned suspension. <laughs> this is true. I it's a cool part of cycling history, but it, uh, you know, okay. Yeah, not not quite the not quite the vibe you're trying to give off uh, when you're yeah, like exactly evidence that I'm evidence that I'm going to dial in your suspension exactly right. Nothing. Yeah, no, go get your bones shaken on the trail. Right. No, right. no. Okay, yeah. I got you. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm feeling a little more sympathetic. You're smelling to, what I'm stepping in? I, I, yeah, I do. For the record, do you do you already have a fixed like grand opening date for push and pull? Uh we're we're pushing for we're pushing for uh, March 17th. Okay. Do you know what day that is, Jonathan? Do I know what date that? <laughs> oh. I didn't a while ago and you got really mad at me, but so I do now. <laughs> um, evidently yes. that's uh, St. Patrick's Day, I believe. Bingo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You were, you were, you, this, I think the maddest you've ever been at me when I was like, yeah, dude, I don't know what date that is. I don't, holidays, me and holidays don't really 
I couldn't tell you the date of like many holidays out there. So um, anyway, forgive me. Forgive me for that. You're forgiven. Okay, cool. We're finally getting there. I mean, see, again, if you were a less interesting person, we could have gotten to our, you know, the main topic earlier than this. So in a way, we're a little late here, but, you know, credit to you. Way to, you know, props for stringing together an interesting life, I think. Oh, thank you. So what we're supposed to be doing now is to go through with you and get your take on some of the most important things that any of us ought to do when we're about to go pull our bike out because winter is wrapping up and it's, you know, springtime coming in, we're going to go ride bikes or we just haven't been on the bike for a while or we're coming off an injury or whatever. But the point of this is like, what are some of the, the most important initial things that a person ought to be doing after pulling their bike out from a storage unit or the garage or whatever, and they haven't ridden in some amount of time, right? That's what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. You I mean you'd ask me something? You know, you'd ask me what what would I like to talk about? And as service is my passion, and it's something we focus on um, at the shop, obviously. But uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, coming out to winter. You know, uh, as you have you mentioned to me, you have a global audience. It could be just any time you, you go for you're going for a ride. Um, so. And it's just sort of those checks that you can do to ensure you have a a great ride, but also that you don't drive to a trailhead and and get there and realize that you can't ride your bike, which is a giant bummer. And you have to go back home to your garage and work on it or take it to the shop. So these are some of the things that, you know, um, that I'd like to talk about. The way that I kind of thought about this a bit was there could either be sort of there's like at least one of two ways to kind of look at what you're going to walk us through. One is kind of like, what's the thing you need to do to avoid like the catastrophic situation, which means either you blow up a really expensive bike part or you injure yourself badly. Right? So like, how do we avoid the catastrophe? The other way to look at this is like, okay, maybe you're not going to, break a really expensive bike part and maybe you're not going to break your collarbone but simon i'm pretty proud i invented a phrase here um we're going to call this bang for the bother that sounds kind of yeah you should be proud it sounds kind of uk-ish kind of you know uk ireland-ish but bang for the bother um so that thing that it's not going to necessarily prevent some catastrophic happening it's just going to make a really nice difference in how that bike is working or riding, right? So let's let's approach, you can kind of approach from either of these things and, and um, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. So let's just walk through the list. Number one. Uh, right, I'm going to go for a bike ride. Um, fantastic. I'm excited. Uh, I get my bike. I'm like, okay, so I think the first thing most will do is they'll give their tires a little squeeze. Wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah. We, we do need air in our tires. Um, <laughs> that, that's about the extent of my personal bike maintenance, Simon. So yeah, I can, ch- yeah. I can tell you, I do can me, say, do me yeah. A solid, do me a solid right now, John. Then I, I, I've been to, I've had the privilege of being to uh, Blister World Headquarters yeah. in Crested Butte. It's, it's a lovely space. Yeah. And, and last time I was in there, you had your, uh, I think a Santa Cruz high tower and a, and a Yeti, maybe SB130 in there. That's correct. Are they still in there? Uh, the high tower has been moved. Um, our reviewer, Eric Friesen has that, uh, I think down in Gunnison at the moment. 
the 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 SB one thirty has not moved in months. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was gonna say you should walk over to it right now, but then I think you'd 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 remove yourself from the microphone. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. 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 There's gonna be no walking. I can tell <laughs> you enough. there's I can tell you there's a lot of mud on, and there's a lot of mud caked on that bike right now. Brilliant. <clears throat> so yes, uh, ridden hard and put a, put in away put away wet essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, these are true things. Is there any other question I can answer here, or are you just nope, shaming? Nope, are you go. just, just... <laughs> podcast shaming me? Is that, is that what this is? No, no. So yeah, it's it's instinct. You're gonna you're gonna squeeze your tires. Um, yep. And uh, you know, I if I had one piece of advice in, in tire pressure, it, it does make quite a big difference, as it turns out. And um, I'm squeezing them. Hey, I mean, it's okay. It tells you if there's air in there, but. Um, I use a digital tire pressure gauge, um, and uh, because you know rim widths have gotten a little bit wider, tire volume has gone up in a lot of cases. Tire pressures have come down. That um, the difference between you know twenty psi and thirty psi is pretty gigantic. So I use a digital tire checker. Fancy AF. <laughs> That's how I have to say that. Okay, um, check your tire pressure. I think we're I think we're good on that one. If I was going to do anything other than step one, what would be your next thing to do? They kind of fall under the umbrella of safety. I would say, can you stop the bike? Do your do your brakes work? We want to know <laughs> that, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you don't want to get to a trailhead and find out that your brakes don't work. They, that's, uh, you know, it's been sitting, maybe it's been hanging and there was air in the system because let's make an assumption. We're talking a mountain bike and most likely has um, hydraulic brakes. So uh, it's fairly, you know, simple but yet complex system that we just want to in- ensure that we're not going to get to where we're going. Like, oh man, no, I don't have any brakes. And that's not something you can just fix trail side typically. You're, it's going to involve going back home, like I said, to your garage or, or making a trip to the bike shop. So do your brakes work? Great. Yes. Okay. Moving on. Um, I want to make sure that the really important bolts, um, I like to call them fasteners, but, but, uh, but let's just say bolts for, uh, simplicity or a, they're tight. Like axles need to be tight. That's it. Uh, you know, they, they come into the bike shop often half out falling out. It's just, if you're not looking at them, you do want to do a visual check or my axles in there. Great. They're torqued. Perfect. Um, stems, big one right there. Did, did I, did I move my stem to fit it in the shed? Great. Well, I may make sure I tighten that again because that is one of the most unnerving feelings you can ever have when you realize that your handlebars are no longer connected to what your front wheel is doing. So yes, we do want to make sure that, uh, that the stem is tight. So that's just, I call those critical fasteners. I, I know that gets a little wordy, but uh, that's important to have, a, to have a, a safety look over of your bike before you get out on the trail. Okay. I, I would say, um, honestly, like, you know, your drivetrain, this is um, another, you know, big component. It's what moves, it's what moves us down the trail, right? You're, um, everything associated with um, moving the bike forward with a, with a chain. So let's do this one in terms of, we'll go the catastrophic drivetrain problem and then the kind of bang for the bother, right, issue of like, people just just do this it'll make your life better your bike will be happier you know et cetera. Et cetera. so let's talk about the catastrophic thing we want to avoid that we do don't we yes at all <laughs> all the time right um and i would say it's 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 uh, anything that could potentially you know stop you from 
from riding, which is, okay, what are those things? My bike's not shifting. That doesn't necessarily stop you from riding. It just really balls up your scene and makes you have kind of a crappy time, you know, and that's usually, you know, a drivetrain adjustment, um, cable and housing. You know, I like to call, you know, the derailleur and the shifter. Um, they need to talk to each other and, and the cable and housing is, is the phone line that connects the shifter to the derailleur. And that is sometimes the most important part. Like if you've got a shitty connection, you know, you're not going to have very good performance. So that cable and housing, you know, it can get uh, corroded. It can stretch. The, the housing could have issues. The cable itself could be frayed. And if that breaks, then and most people don't carry a derailleur kill with them. So a visual check of that whole system is good. And if you're having any uh, drivetrain irregularity or it's not consistently shifting well, don't keep using it, right? Like, come sort the problem out because it just gets worse and it gets worse until you do have a catastrophic failure where it drops the chain on the inside or the outside. And then it, perhaps it wraps the chain around the derailleur and the derailleur then looks like a cobra coming out of the cassette and it's just a mangled mess. And that's something you don't want and can be avoidable a lot of the times. Under the bank for the bother thing, uh, cleaning the drivetrain is what you can do. That's what you can. That's what you can get out of it. Is is uh, is cleaning the, the dirt out of it and, and lubing the chain. Our current, you know, drivetrains. Let's just kind of do a quick history here. Is like, yeah, we've got twelve gears in the back now, typically, and one in the front. Okay, on a modern mountain bike drivetrain, which <laughs> which is twelve gears where eleven used to be, where ten used to be, where nine used to be, and on and on and on. So things have gotten a lot tighter back there, and tolerances have got a lot tighter, and so they do like to be cleaner and they do like to be lubed. Um, so that's something that that can be done then anytime in the garage, right? Or before heading out on the ride by the trailhead. Yeah. Just for the record, one of my other favorite things about you, other than that you used to drive a tank, is the way you pronounce the word garage. It's amazing. <laughs> so those are my top two. Well, here's my question for you. Yeah. Um, how did it get like a, a French pronunciation garage? Where did that come from? That's, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, Think about that. <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds a million times better than garage. Uh, <clears throat> Do you know the other big problem I have when it comes to like how people say things? I think people who pronounce the word gondola, people who say gondola just makes kind of a cool thing sound like a really dumb thing. I totally agree. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. The funny part is like people I actually respect and who are like really good skiers too, not that that means anything, some of them say gondola. And I'm just like, that just sounds like, I don't know. It just, I, you've pronouncing it, pronouncing it that way makes it sound like 80% less cool than they actually are, than gondolas are. So I don't know what you have to say about that, but. I'm in total agreement with you. Good. I say gondola. You, you say gondola, <laughs> but yes. you also say garage. Yes. All right. And aluminium. Wait, what? <laughs> Do you really? Just, no, that one comes and goes. Alum Bear in mind, I've been in this country longer now than I lived in Ireland. So, yes. Um, Which uh, means things, it's time things, to... Things are fragmented. The accent comes and goes and words that sometimes I say, sometimes I don't. Yeah, but you've been here long enough. I think maybe you should stop pronouncing it garage. I'm going to say it more now. But I, I believe you. I will have you know, 
while traditionally I have definitely not like, you know, cleaned the bike off after every ride, I discovered this summer that there is a a hose right outside of elevation, right outside of Blister HQ. And so for the first time ever in my life, I would religiously like get done with the ride, march over to that hose and like spray that bike down. And what happened was I was just this year in particular, I just was having so much fun riding bikes. And I think our reviewer, David Golay was in CB and it was pretty late. I don't quite remember, but like late November, early December or something. And we were riding bikes in, in, uh, in Gunnison out at Hartman rocks. It was some pretty muddy riding. And I was like, that's cool. We're going to just go back to CB. I got my hose there. It's all good. Well, it also like temps were quite cold at this point. Right. And, um, I, we came back after this ride and my hose was put away. That's oh, the end no. of that story. I know it's terrible. I was so oh, good. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So this is this this is the excuse behind the, yeah. the dirty bike. Oh, yes, right. that, this that is works. exactly this is exactly the excuse, and it's true. So I was so good for the first time in my life all all summer and fall, and I just came back one day and and she was gone. She was gone, Simon, and that's it's, why it's I, not your, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's why no. the SB one thirty is so dirty uh, right now in Blister HQ. So anyway. And, and, you know, here's the thing with, with washing the washing of bikes. Yeah, I think I, I'm in the wash camp, but it's not universally agreed upon. There are some technicians out there that, that don't uh, subscribe to, to bike washing as, as a positive thing. They think, you know, you all now you're going to get water in the bearings and you're going to, and which is true. You, you don't want to have high pressure aiming at any kind of a, a bearing area or, or sealed area because you can't get water past there and, and you could, you know, accelerate some corrosion. So it's it's a, a <laughs> now even when I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing the wrong thing. No, unless you have a pressure washer attached to that hose. I'm sure you don't, yeah, do you? Yeah, no, nah. you're fine. You're fine. I'm fine. It's all yeah. good. I just am gonna blow on the bike gently now, going forward. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my new. Just do that for like thirty minutes. Just yeah, just got a tiny little detailing brush and just wisp away the flakes of dirt. Yeah, no, it's not gonna happen. Um. This is a conversation where I sort of imagine we're going to have a whole lot of potential conversations in our future. Um, As you've said earlier, suspension's kind of your thing. So I'm going to try to ask you to exercise a lot of self-restraint right now, but let's just talk about suspension at the most, I don't know, basic level. Again, sticking to our like, all right, how do I avoid some sort of catastrophic mess up or catastrophic damage when it comes to suspension? Or just tell me about the like bang for the bother part, you know? So let's let's just kind of stick to those one of those two categories or those two categories uh, about only suspension. if you can only if you can promise like a, a future deep dive so we can get super nerdy about it. Okay, we'll do. Tell you what, I I will raise your. <laughs> prospect of the future deep dive we'll do this one in person there will be whiskey present and that's all i got and then we'll just talk okay we'll we'll make sure that one happens okay suspension um we love it it's it's there it makes our ride uh more enjoyable and it can it can look very complicated and um, and overwhelming uh what i would like to 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 say about suspension is um it is a serviceable part of your bike 
Uh, I do think it gets neglected, and I see this quite often. To put it more plainly, your, your suspension, it loves to be serviced. It, it, it loves it. it. Suspension loves fresh oil. It, it, it just, oh, it's its favorite thing. Uh, it makes everything <laughs> makes everything work smoother and um, it's more controlled. So if there's one thing I can I can say about suspension is don't forget about it. It's going to reward you if you stick to a surface um, you know cadence with it and surface it. It's going to prolong the life of it and it's going to prolong your enjoyment of it. You know, and then correct setup kind of uh, correlates with that as well. Is just having it set up right for your body weight and your riding style. And uh, I mean, that's that's kind of really it. That's it. That's all I'm trying got. not to get super nerdy. You know, I'm like, oh, well, we could do this, this, this and this and this and this. But um, to make it, you know, very simple, um, service it, set it up correctly. And that could be um, watching a how to video. A lot of the suspension companies, RockShock included, have videos about how to set your suspension up, how much air to put in it. There'll be a um, most nearly every fork that's out there has a um, has a chart on the back of the fork leg that tells you if you weigh 160 pounds put this much air into the fork okay and then for the rear you can usually consult the manufacturer say it's a say it's a yeti for instance you could go onto yeti's website and they have an amazing setup guide you plug your weight in and your height and the bike you have and it tells you how much air to put in the front and rear where to set your rebound and compression um, adjusters and also how much air to put in your bloody tires. It's, it's fantastic. So uh, my suggestion would be to use some of those resources because they're out there. They're easy to find. Uh, all you need is a, is a suspension uh, pump. Pretty good. And service, service, service. <laughs> service, service, service. Yeah, yeah. It just loves it. it. So what happens is you get this slow degradation of performance with suspension. When the seals dry out and the foam rings don't have any oil in them anymore and and there's dirt in there, and maybe there's, there's the oil is aerated, you get this slow degradation of, of performance where perhaps you haven't noticed that it's not as good as it used to be um, because it's happened over a, a long period of time. So, um, you know, once you do service it and bring it back to um, a like new state, it's like, oh, it's, it's wonderful. You're like, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. This is fantastic. So, hmm. um, see if you agree with this statement. Noah Bodman. I don't think he ever said this on a podcast. It's, I think this was just a conversation he and I were having where I think he said something like, if you took, you know, normal people's bikes, the stuff we're all just kind of riding around, right? You had a legit mechanic or a legit suspension person get on those bikes they would declare like, I think he said like 80 to 90% of them to just be unrideable. Agree or disagree? <laughs> oh man, that, that's a big number. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, and I'm coming, I'm coming from um, a service and a shop environment. I, I'm not necessarily seeing that. I'm, I'm seeing um, suspension coming in that, that, yes, it can benefit from a, a, perhaps a better setup, but it's not horrifically bad when it comes in. Um, the hope is that when the, when during, you know, the buying of the bicycle, wherever the bike was purchased, you know, unless it came on a, on a brown truck and a brown box, that there was a conversation and there was a bit of setup that happened at that time. And a lot of time, that's the only thing that's happened. And then, you know, time has gone by and there hasn't been any other setup or any other air pressure checks. So I, I'm not really seeing it being that bad. So yeah, Noah, you're a little cranky. 
little cranky Noah. I like it. Noah? <laughs> Noah? But there's 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 bitch in stuff we can do. Like we we have the ability to do, you know, um, live telemetry. We can we can we can hook up um, a little black box to your suspension and record and uh, basically live data while you're riding and get super nerdy about it. And I love that stuff and we we have those tools, so it's great. Hmm. Well, hey man, um I want to let you get going. Do you, is there, are there any last words here? And or are we ready? Did we wrap? Were we calling this good? You, you exercise a lot of restraint. I did. I feel like we spent about five minutes on service and, and, and the rest of the time, you know, we, we got into tanks and, uh, we did. And three legged cats. (laughs) Three legged cats. And there was was a lot of. Sometimes the way this works though is you gotta, you gotta get that stuff. You gotta get that, you know, on wax, as they say. So, We've got that. That now frees us up, you know, going forward. Um, yeah, you know, I feel if I liberated. Res- if I, yeah, like if I can resist the temptation to pry more into your background, then we can just talk about things like suspension and the like. So it's good. Absolutely. It's some, yeah. some necessary, some necessary uh, back work we needed to get filled in. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my notes, you know, one of those, one of the, the first thing on the list was, was, was air in your tires. And I'm like, you know what I think is, is missed mostly when it comes from a bike being in a storage um, environment for a while through a winter or if you're if you're uh, not riding for a while is tire sealant it, it dries out here's the <laughs> there isn't uh-huh. any real magic to it but the stuff just plain dries out especially in a super dry environment like Colorado we're like three four months and it's it's not doing its job anymore so that's another one of those things that isn't put it in and forget about it and it's going to be good to go no it does it does evaporate it goes away, and so your tubeless tires are then susceptible to uh, to punctures. And uh, I, I would advise, if it's been a while, um, check the sealant and re-up it so you can have the benefits of a, a tubeless system. All right. That's my um, end. There you go. <laughs> that's the end. Um, yeah. Well, hey, man, appreciate it. This was fun, and um, we're going to be talking more, and um, we'll see if um, what happens. Well, I think the first thing sounds like will be the grand opening of push and pull. And um, I'd love to make it down for that. Yeah, we could schedule a, um, a podcast around that too. So if you'd like, you know, in a busy bar, how do you think that would work? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, perfect, Look, I'm sure. I'm being super optimistic. A busy bar, that would be right. lovely. Yes. Right. Yeah, but right. we're, you know, we're, we're setting it up to be in a community uh, area of, you know, or cycling enthusiasts or, not, or anybody for that matter, you know, or we're hoping it becomes this hub and, and uh, that's the that's the vision. Well, hey man, appreciate the time. Uh, good luck with push and pull, and that grand opening. Good luck with Rory, but most of all, good luck with Sasha. <laughs> well, you know she's the best, and so um, <laughs> she's the best. Uh, she really she is. is. Uh, she really she's fantastic. is. Keeps me on my toes. Uh, I, I really looked. I really enjoyed this. Uh, you're one of my favorite uh, people to converse with, and. Uh, I look forward to uh, to more good times uh, on the uh, the podcast scene. So uh, there's so much more to delve into. There is so much more. So, uh, well, uh, again, I'm already looking forward to the next time. And so, hey, Simon, thank you. And uh, yeah, till the next time. My pleasure. Over and out. All right, man. Bye-bye. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Simon for the conversation. Thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, please take good care out there. And we will talk to you again next week.